Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. As we head into hour two, it is a delight to bring back George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute, Resolute Group and the president at Data Orbital, one of the uh, finest political consultants. And we are lucky to have him here in town. And uh, we've uh, moved around a little bit having you on Fridays and Mondays just because of summer and some travel. But it's nice to have you in studio with us today again, George. Good to see you. Good to see you. Always good to be on. You were on some international travel, yes? I was. I went to Lebanon to yeah. visit family for a couple of weeks, and I've told a number of folks there's nothing that makes me, as much as I love Lebanon, there's nothing that makes me appreciate the United States of America as much as being away and coming home. Yeah. Should we should we force every 17-year-old to spend a little bit of time in the Middle East for like a week? Almost anywhere that's not anywhere. America and Western Europe, <laughs> yeah. candidly, yeah. because when you leave and you come back and you th- the things that we appreciate on a day-to-day basis, yeah. uh, we could have a whole show on it, but the things we appreciate yeah. on a day-to-day basis, there's so many people around the world that yeah. literally do not have access to those things. Yeah. So did you get to do July 4th here or there? I'm always fascinated. Oh, you did make it back for – okay. Yes. I'm always fascinated by – I have a lot of friends who happen to be abroad for July 4th. I tell them to go to the embassies and stuff because that's always interesting. But I hope you had a good July 4th. Yes. Yeah, it was good. Good. A lot of politics to discuss, and we've been bottling it up in your absence, so we're going to bring it all out. Can we start locally and then go globally? I had Rachel Mitchell on uh, earlier in the week, our county attorney. Uh, She uh, gathered uh, the vast majority of fellow county attorneys to push back against this executive order from last week that Governor Katie Hobbs and Attorney General Chris Mays signed off on which removes from the county attorneys the ability to prosecute an entire sector of laws. In this case, they happen to be laws that would be enforcing the abortion statutes that our legislature has passed. They just unilaterally took that out of the power of the county attorneys to prosecute because, as they promised, they would never prosecute on these cases. So they gave it to the attorney general to never prosecute. They've done this now with the death penalty. And by the way, I, 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 I had forgotten about this. I had um, Kim Miller on from Arizona Women of Action, you know that group, uh, yesterday talking about them joining a lawsuit against, um, against uh, the governor in that this governor and attorney general refused to enforce the legislation that was signed into law by Doug Ducey on preventing transgender athletics and sports. It's an amazing thing to think about these unilateral decisions to just not enforce laws that the people passed. I'll just stop my long wind up with this. The only bright side I can think of it is this is the first time Democrats have so severely thought that they could make cuts in government because they are making the entire state legislature irrelevant. I say that sarcastically. You have to hand it uh to Democrats, particularly in this scenario, the attorney general and the governor, they're just they're kind of willing to say, look, you know what? Laws may or may not say certain things. I'm going to choose to do what I want, uh, regardless of what the laws say. It takes a certain amount of uh, uh, backbone, I suppose, for them to do that. And it also takes chutzpah in the Middle East, we call it. Yeah, (laughs) it also takes a certain amount uh, to cause even Democrat county attorneys right. and Democrat right. columnists like Lori Roberts right. to come out against you because it's not about, and in this scenario, it wasn't about whether or not the issue is about abortion, right. as some people in the political class are trying to make it and like the left's trying to make it. It's about the fact that can a governor, 
through executive order with their attorney general? Can they decide the county prosecutors can or can't do certain things? Well, what happens when Republicans take back the governor's office and attorney general? Are you going to allow them to do certain stuff? That's the thing that's absolutely mind blowing is they they've not made it about abortion. They've made it now about the power of what these prosecutor uh, prosecutors can or cannot do. So you have even the county prosecutor of Coconino County and some other Democrats have said, hey, like this isn't again, it's not about abortion. We're not going to prosecute that anyways, because if you're a Democrat, they're not going to not even a case to prosecute. Exactly. Yeah. But they've decided that they wanted to go out of their way. And the other thing that's been amazing, and I was wondering when these slew of executive orders was going to start. And it seemed like it was right when the legislature more or less is winded down. There's a whole host of executive orders that she's done, a number of which really are legally suspect and I can guarantee are going to be challenged. Because they are just deciding with the stroke of a pen to undo laws that they deem to be things that they don't want to follow. And that's just not how our system of government works. It's an assault on the separation of powers as much as it is, as it is an assault on the entire notion of representative democracy. The way it works here for anyone that grew up with Schoolhouse Rock or graduated eighth grade is that we vote for representatives or sometimes we'll pass initiatives, but we vote for representatives to pass laws that the governor can either sign or not sign, but once signed is the law that the governors subsequent to them swear an oath to the state and federal constitutions to enforce. The idea that they can grab an entire category out of the hands of other offices in the state, other constitutional offices in the state, you're right. It is interesting. It in that it got a lot of Democratic county attorneys to sign on with Rachel Mitchell and the Lori Roberts column, one of really her very finest columns, where she literally called out Katie Hobbs as a queen. She said Katie Hobbs is acting like a queen, not a governor, and made the point you made at the end, which is the precedent here will be when there is a Republican governor, there is nothing stopping them from ceasing to enforce and taking away, arrogating unto themselves the power not to enforce laws they disagree with. Yeah. Oftentimes in in politics today, I have to ask myself, am I crazy or is the person that I'm disagreeing with crazy? In this scenario, I use people like Lori Roberts as a litmus test because there's not much I agree with her on hardly anything. And I know I I think you would fall in the same bucket. So when I agree with her on something like this, or I should say she agrees with me or uh, our position, it makes you like, okay, no, we're not the crazy ones, the people that are making this decision. And look, for for political theory nerds and government nerds like you and I, this struggle with the executive versus the legislative goes back a long time. There's a lot of that talk during the early 2000s with the Bush presidency and executive powers and yep. what they can or sure. cannot do. Sure. And now we're seeing it not just in Arizona. There's news of what happened in Wisconsin where right. the governor unilaterally did a line item veto and removed a couple of numbers and a hyphen mm-hmm. to make an increase that was meant for two years last for 420 some years. Yes, right. Right. So there's a there's a lot of testing of executive powers and uh, some of the powers that be. You try to paint it as, oh, this is a Republican phenomenon. That's not true at all, right? Yeah. We got used to being called uh, whenever we exercised uh, what Hamilton and Madison called energy in the executive. When it came to the presidency, we get used to being called tyrants and autocrats and ruling as tyrants and autocrats. There is nothing so tyrannical and autocratic as this. This is bald-faced. This is bald-faced. And the additional insult is interesting here. This is now something we've become used to, I suppose, but it's extraordinarily odd that Katie Hobbs has given no press conferences or interviews on such such a strong measure or ever. It's a really odd thing. You would think she might call in some reporters. You would think she might go on some of the Sunday shows. You would think she might hold a press conference. She's afraid of the media. It's an odd, odd thing that we've just become used to. Now, you can't really say the same thing about Chris Mays. 
Katie Hobbs is our governor, and she will not talk to the media. Yeah, because their calculus is, right, to put my sort And of, they're by and large on her side. Maybe not in this instance, but by and large. 100%. But this is the calculus that they're making. Look, we're going to do things, and we're going to roll the dice, preferably. And, okay, is, is, is there going to be enough of an uproar to have us roll it back? Look at all the, th- frankly, crazy things she's done in the first six to seven months, not least of which, again, something small but was big, mm-hmm. which is the veto of the tamale bill. Look at how many amazing things that she has vetoed and stuff that she either didn't do. She just continues to do them, and her theory is, and her advisor's theory is, all right, we're going to keep doing stuff until someone stands in our way, right? And I don't just mean the election. I mean, like, yeah. on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis to put pressure. Yeah. Now, we've seen some of the response. The Senate's going to no longer have hearings for her nominees for different cabinet positions. That is something that the legislature can respond with. There's going to be lawsuits, I'm sure. There's all kinds of letters that are flying now back and forth in the preparation, conceivably, of lawsuits. And so we've not heard the final thing on this. Uh, there's no chance that I don't believe there's a chance legally that this is going to stand, right? You don't get 11 out of 15 county prosecutors to agree on something if there is legal precedent for it. Democrats and Republicans, attorneys, all of them, let us point out, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I mean, look, what what is bipartisan anymore in this country and in the state? Very little. And so when both parties agree on things, or at least big portions of both parties, you know something is serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now the question is going to be, okay, who's going to stand up? Who's going to actually be able to roll this back? Or are we going to let her do this? And the answer can't be. We cannot just let her do this because today it's this, tomorrow it's something even more intense and so on and so forth from there. Someone has to be able to check that power. Otherwise, we know what happens to power unchecked. It's hard to overstate the immoderacy of what the governor has done here when you think of the series of pieces of legislation she is just refusing to enforce and in some cases, as I say, taking the power away from others to enforce who are constitutionally charged with enforcing it so that they don't get enforced. It's it's hard to overstate the boldness of this, the audaciousness of it, the temerity of it. And it's um, the only message I want to say, I guess, as we go into break and move on to perhaps some other issues, George, is that for those who thought they were getting a moderate in Katie Hobbs, this is about the most immoderate power-hungry grab, power grab I have ever seen in a governor. I don't know what else to say about it. 100%. Name me one moderate thing that's happened in these first six or seven months. There's very little. Exactly right. George Kaloff is my guest. He and I will be right back. George Kaloff is my guest. He is in studio, managing partner of the Resolute Group, president of Data Orbital. You're now getting getting down with my music. You, it's taking you that you, you finally you're now good with it. Look, it's Friday afternoon. Okay. Sometimes you just gotta you just gotta <laughs> dance a little. You bit Let the chair. flag fly a little bit. All right, I like it. People uh, come for the talk, but they stay for the music here, George. Let's talk about the music of politics beyond Arizona a little bit. Uh, let me first start with. Something I've been talking about with the audience for a couple of weeks, and uh, it's been a couple of weeks since you and I have visited. The distance now, again, with all the caveats that it's early, but the distance still that exists in the Republican primary between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis as a frontrunner, the large distance, really is beginning to become its own narrative, or I think it's becoming to, it's coming to become its own narrative in the sense that I think a lot of people are saying, well, what is what is uh, it's still it's 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 a distance out. I guess we have a, a debate next month. I don't know how many people are moved from debates. You'll tell me. But one one has to wonder what's what's really left in the arsenal for Ron DeSantis to to use to overcome this huge gap. 
Is the uh, am am I being am I writing his obituary prematurely? I, probably, I, probably, I but still, that thought is out there. There's definitely, um, it's definitely getting to the point while it's still early that the gap's not moving. The gap's moving in the wrong uh, wrong direction. If you're Ron DeSantis, there's a number of entrants into the race that are still and continue to make noise. They are people in positions of power like a Senator Tim Scott or former governors like Nikki Haley or former VPs like Mike Pence. Or they're people that have brought a unique flavor to the race like a Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, which I know that we've talked about. So, look, yes, it's early. Uh, we obviously have debates. I actually do think debates affect in this right. way. If a debate goes poorly for someone who's expected to do well, that affects it. It's very hard to perform well and have that be the positive. It's so just it works in the negative more than in the positive. Yes, okay. with, with debates, you just have to make sure that you don't totally uh, bomb them. It's a question on if President Trump even will go to the debate and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some fighting now amongst states about if they will or won't give delegates depending on like Florida's doing this and there's some changes potentially in California about they have to sign a loyalty pledge. So Look, to me, the presidential race is playing out how I'd expect it, which is Donald Trump's in first. There's a bunch of people doing a lot. And look, it is still early in the sense of things could change. But, you know, right now, if you're if you're sort of holding the cards that President Trump's holding in this race, you want to be holding those. Cards. You want you want to be in his yeah. shoes. Yeah, yeah, he's from a from a presidential primary perspective amongst Republicans. You want to be in that position. And then, frankly, you don't want to be, I don't think, um, Joe Biden who is losing in some polls 20 percent to someone like in their in their mind in their party like kennedy right yeah. i mean that's that's not a well you add you add kennedy and marianne williamson and you're pretty much at about a quarter of the voting public in the democratic party right? so i mean that that's right. definitely going to be a, a show of weakness it's a long time before november i mean obviously if it's a long time before iowa in january it's an even longer time before november but there's some serious things at play in this presidential primary and i think there is there's a lot that voters are going to have to decide. And in the Republican presidential primary, um, there's a lot of voters that it seems like are making up their decisions earlier and are just staying firm. And I'm not sure what there's going to be to be able to move them. Well, right, because that, that it's been my experience in politics when someone does commit to you, they're pretty much committed to you. It's very hard to lose a committed voter or a committed donor. Once they say yes to you and a lot of them are, you know, a lot of them are taken up and those that aren't, they're not there for the other guy just yet, are they? No. And I will say, I don't, I don't think it would be right to count. Let's say, let's assume it's between 50 and 60. I don't, I don't think it's right to count all of that as truly committed to President Trump. I think he's purely committed in most polls is in the 30 to 40 range. I do think there's a percentage of people that are, that are ebbing and flowing. Soft support. Relative to this, right? They, they, they don't just want to be with the winner. They they want to be, you know, if they are given a reason, maybe they're willing to consider it. And right now, and, and those are people that, frankly, were with Governor DeSantis because mm-hmm. we know that the polling numbers where they were shortly after the, you know, the election in November of 2022. So I think those people are still movable, which is why I think it's a little early. But there's a lot of noise in the race and there's a lot of people clamoring in different directions. And uh, candidly, some of what's transpired relative to President Trump, some of these legal things, as we've talked about, has helped him. Some of the things that have transpired with with DeSantis, as was expected after he announced it's not just about how awesome of a governor he is in Florida. There's all kinds of other things that are now at play. So, look, a lot of presidential politics are narratives. And right now the narrative is definitely I don't know if it's I would say in President Trump's favor, but I don't think it's in Governor DeSantis's favor. He hasn't had a particularly good couple of weeks. And we've talked before about. You know, the mystery, 
the mystery in- ingredients in politics where you have someone who is immensely popular in their own state or in their own community and for some reason it just doesn't translate. You and I have talked about the cases of back in the day Rudy Giuliani. We have talked about the cases of Fred Thompson. We have talked about the cases of Scott Walker. Uh, maybe Jeb Bush is in there too. I'm not sure. But there's something that it feels uh, – that Ron DeSantis's campaign to me just feels an awful lot like that Scott Walker campaign. Amazing governor, great on paper, and it's just for some reason not able to fire the same bullets on the national stage. I think – I don't know that I am ready to s- compare it to the Governor Walker race only because that one I don't, if I remember correctly, didn't make it anywhere near right. the first primary. Right, I don't think right, there's a chance right. that uh, that DeSantis doesn't right, make right, it to right, the first primary, right? right? But right. but I agree with you in the sense of these were very popular. I mean, again, people were saying back in the day as if it was fifty years ago. It was like ten ten years I ago. But back in the day, politically, because right. every year feels like a decade. Um, back he when was, I had hair on my head, we can say he was I one of the some most pictures from ten years ago. He was one of the most popular, if not the most popular governor at that time. Right. I mean, the things he was doing in Wisconsin and the amount of time he spent on the ballot with all those recalls was absolutely crazy. Right. And obviously we saw how he did with the unions, what Ron DeSantis was able to do with, I don't know, his 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 opponents at, let's say, Disney or what have you. Right. I mean, they had these great internal wins, these great cultural and political wins. Yes. Yeah. Um, So, look, I think there's there's still a lot of time. The team that's been amassed there, the money. I mean, we're we're now beginning to get a sense of what happened in the second quarter from a fundraising perspective. We know that President Trump raised about thirty five million. I don't know that I've seen what Governor DeSantis has raised yet uh, in terms of a public announcement. But there's a lot more road to to go. But look, we we keep saying that. But at some point we're going to run out of road. At some point we're going to be in the fall and at some point we're going to be in Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then we're going to be staring down uh, what happens in Iowa and all the states. We're keeping the traditional schedules. Republicans, the Democrats are not. Um, So there's a lot that's going to be decided. I actually think it's going to be decided much earlier than a lot of people think. I don't think this is going to be something that's dragging into April or anything like that. I think it's going to be pretty clear if no one's coming close to President Trump in the first four states, I think it's going to it's going to have a dramatically quick effect in clearing the field. That would be my prediction. Well, we're going to have an early winnowing, too, by the end of next month, because I think some of these rules for the debates that the RNC has set is going to be an uncomfortable wake up call for a lot of people who think they're in this race that really aren't. 100 percent, because you, you don't have enough people like we had in 2016, where you had a first stage and a second stage. Right. That's right. That's right. I saw the other day that all the, I think it was a piece in Politico that all these national polls that show some of the second or third tier candidates doing okay, almost none of those polls qualify by the RNC's criteria. There's only maybe two of all these polls then. They're not looking too good, those third tier yeah. candidates. So they may be a, a, the winnowing may, may even be earlier than, than, than in some of your predictions. But you did mention the Democratic Party, and that to me is a very interesting one. When we come back, let's talk about – the problems on their side. George Kaloff is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital is my guest. Young David, uh, with his crack research team, informs us that DeSantis posted a $20 million haul uh, yesterday, which is less than Trump. But as you were saying, George, that's interesting because, you know, he's only been in since May. Yeah. Right? So six weeks compared to 12. I mean, yeah. that's, it's, I mean, that, it, that's he's in the game. He's in the game. That's yeah. Substantial. Yeah. Democrats. I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to 
political observers, political aficionados who say, I can't exactly figure out how, but I'm just telling you, I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. And I wonder where you come down on that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I, maybe I should be. You take more, this too seriously. It, it's not just that. I, I, I feel like I'm. I'm. I'm all for making bold predictions. You know this, yeah. and I'm just. I, I. I need to see some of the the facts and figures. The the thing that I'm continuing to struggle with is like, you know, I was going to make a joke when you just said the Democrats. I was like, well, that could be the whole segment. We could just yeah. say the Democrats yeah. and end there because that's yeah. such a loaded yeah. word now and everything that we. I mean just every week there seems to be some new crazy thing that's happening something as as ridiculous as cocaine found in the white house to all these other things and now they're coining the term bidenomics which i think by the way i get why they did it but is absolutely going to serve our side on a silver platter and ability to paint the picture of what bidenomics is look i was out of the country for two weeks and i came back and i was like oh my gosh i was so thankful that gas was at 360 (laughs) a full dollar and a half or two dollars more than what it was a handful of years ago and so we know what caught what 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 happens with bidenomics we know the implications there and the thing that continues to make this general election so intriguing to me is all of the issues that they have hard stop and look whether or not joe biden is a nominee i mean i I don't know i mean when you have polls that show that less about 50 percent of voters that are democratic primary voters don't want him to be and believe the average age of a president should be less. When you see him say the things that he says, and again, I have never it's once not getting and I will, better, and I will never post something like that and make fun of him. But I disagree with everything that he stands for. But but it is what's happening to him is akin to elder abuse because right. he cannot cognitively do what he is being asked to do. Right, right. Hard stop. Right. There is no leadership in the White House. There is no leadership in front. It's just odd. You know, there's any number of examples we could pick. I saw him sitting with a foreign leader in the Oval Office yesterday or the day before, and they were just shouting questions at him regarding the cocaine story in the White House, which I want to get to in a minute as well. And he just sat there with a smile on his face, and it was so eerie that I couldn't tell if he didn't understand the question, if he didn't know the story. I couldn't tell if he thought it wasn't a story and that people were overreacting to this or if he was kind of playing some kind of version of what you were saying earlier, which is uh, I can thumb my nose here because it won't matter anyway. It just doesn't matter. I couldn't tell. And any one of those I think is equiprobable, equally probable. He is not capable right now of serving as the president of the United States. And yet they're putting him up as the nominee. He is not able to string sentences together. We have way too many video clips of him not just making one line mistakes, like wholesale have entire segments of the speeches that make literally no coherent sense. And he is actually reading. Right. That's not okay. I mean, I mean, if if for nothing else, then if we have a calamity, when we have calamities, if when we do, he needs to be cognitively able to lead our nation. And that is not going to be. That's not going to be the case right now. We can we can see it panning out. And so, look, the Democrats have so many problems. The economy is still struggling now because of how good the job market continues to be. They're talking about more interest rate hikes potentially. I mean, we're in a pretty dramatically tough spot. And they keep they the Democrats keep focusing on things that are absolutely out of the mainstream every day. And I'm not talking at a local level. I'm talking local, state, national, everywhere. And they just are expecting the rest of us to take it. It's just like, well, we're going to get used to it, so we're going to do what we want. In years past, we could have the luxury of worrying about the ability, stability, um, 
of the president, knowing that there was usually a vice president who was very capable. We don't have that here either. I don't know who's less articulate, frankly, and who gives less confidence. I think her numbers are worse than his. I think we set up last week, David, that her negatives are the highest of any vice president since that polling began. And so when you talk about a crisis in leadership, I mean, it's not just at the top. It filters down to the second option here, too, which raises the question that I've been fascinated by. I'll have you pick it up on the other side of this break, if it's okay, George, of if, if, if Biden is not the nominee, just what it is that the Democrats do. People talk about Gavin Newsom, and I suppose you can't put anything past the ruthlessness and the desire to win of the Democrats, but I honestly don't know how you hop-skip over the vice president, who happens to be an African-American woman, having made such a big issue of that for a white male from her home state. I don't I don't know how you do it. I think they're in a pickle, but I'll have you address that when we come back. You're you're about crises, crisis communication and crisis solution more so than I am these days. I'm Seth Leaps and he's George Kaloff and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. It's a delight to have George Kaloff with us. He from the Resolute Group and president of Data Orbital Consulting. George, uh, I've been I've been watching Gavin Newsom for some time now, and let us lest it be confused that I support anything he does. I don't, but I do find him to be very gifted, and I think he's very skilled. Thought anyone who doubts that should see his Sean Hannity interview or how he's handled other interviews. He's very skilled, and I think he would be probably the Democrats' best bet, even in a down economy, to run as president of the United States. I don't know how they get to him though. Even if Joe Biden, assuming Joe Biden does not, for whatever reason, decide to run for a second term, I don't know how they go to Gavin by bypassing Kamala. I just don't know how they do it. And that may be why they're doing what they're doing in propping up someone like Joe Biden, because they know they would have an absolute, absolute calamity on their hands with their primary. Mm-hmm. If we thought that the Trump-DeSantis dynamic right. on the Republican side would be intense, I think theirs would be 15 times more intense. Yeah. Right. I mean, we saw how the primary was playing out in in 2020 mm-hmm. before South Carolina mm-hmm. for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Now, look, Democrat voters, it's clear on multiple polls. Viability is a big deal for them, which is why Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Um, but Joe Biden ended up being the nominee. Very different than with Republicans where viability, the ability, by the way, when I say viability, the ability to win in the general election. Uh, that's not a point that wins much in the Republican no, circles, but not. it really does in the Democrats. Values alignment yeah. is what uh, prevails on the Republican side. I don't think they can skip over Kamala Harris. I think she'd be a horrible nominee, which, frankly, for for us would be amazing because I think she'd be very beatable. Yeah. I don't think she's super likable. I'm telling you, I mean, the, the, for, for, for as much uh, as they say about the Republican Party and about us in terms of how we're this, that, and the other, there's a whole lot of Democrats that are just not likable in any way, shape, or form. Right. They're not casting vision. They're not being hopeful. They're not doing any of the things that they actually claim that they're doing. They just say certain things, and then they act a whole bunch of other different ways. And I think... I don't know what it was about COVID that woke people up in the way that it did, yeah. sincerely. And I, yeah. I feel like every time I talk about anything, I like refer to COVID as the, as the tipping point or the inflection point there. And I think this is one of those scenarios. People woke up to what the heck their government was doing. 
and it well it went and ended up going well beyond the actual things about COVID. I'm not talking vaccine and masks and stuff. I'm talking about anything that government does mm-hmm. from school mm-hmm. to really a government can just tell me that I can't go to business, you know, can't go to work. Or I Censorship can't go, of social media. Everything, this anything. It's a huge. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's now when the, you know, that, the, that decision was announced. People yeah. woke up and said, oh, my gosh. And so what's the party that's doing that? What's the party that's utilizing government and weaponizing government against people? It's the Democratic Party, 100%. I mean, they're using government to tell people that they can or cannot do a whole host of stuff, and they used COVID for it. But there were states that went long before the public health uh, warning said to go, and even then we, we, we disagreed, but they went long, long afterwards. And so I think they have a major problem on their hands, which is why every day they wake up and they're like, oh, my God, can he hang on one more day? Can he, mm-hmm. can he make it to the election? Mm-hmm. Because I think they're going to have a exceptionally precarious time. I think Gavin Newsom, yeah, may be their best bet, but he also is governing a state that, while you know, we like to go to its beaches and do all that stuff. I mean, it's not in a good position. He's not an, I, a I kind just man. Yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> right? I, all those things. I know. I'm so cynical these days, though. I just don't know that the stat stats matter. I don't know if people care. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know. I mean, I. You know. Let me let me pivot back to an interesting thing about the Republican primary. It's 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 perhaps an underreported thing, but I think it's obvious to serious observation or observers that Ron DeSantis is running, at least on the cultural issues, to the right of Donald Trump, whether it's on abortion or whether it's on the transgender issue or whether whether it's on. Yeah, well, those two big ones, let's it's hard to it's hard to find stronger social issues than those right now, cultural issues than those right now. Um and some of the narrative has been, well, he'll lose independence with that cultural conservatism. And I happen to think that there's an awful lot of independents that are sick and tired of this Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence culture that we're living in now and would be happy to vote for someone who is saying enough of this, you know what, enough, just enough. 100 percent. Okay. I mean, we, we have seen the way that people have revolted. Again, we could start with Bud Light and go on down and everything that's transpired. We Again, we could spend multiple shows talking about all the things and, and all the decisions that are made. And that's what I was alluding to earlier. Democrats and, and, I, and, I, and I say Democrats, really what I should what we should really call it is the powers that be on the progressive ideological left that want to say and, and they actually say this very publicly. Their ideology is what should reign. Mm-hmm. They don't believe parents should be able to teach any counter ideology. They don't believe that religion should be able to exist because it teaches a counter ideology. Their ideology is religion and the rest of us are wrong. And mm-hmm. they are the ones that are in charge. I don't care if you're a CEO. I don't care if you're you know, the head of BlackRock. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. It's that power structure that we're battling against. And frankly, it was that power structure that, again, was illuminated by President Trump at 16, was definitely illuminated by COVID. And the people are saying enough. And I think those people could be independents. I think mm-hmm. those people are Republicans. I think there's some people on the center left that are waking up. Now, then the second step of that is, okay, well, then who do I want my person to be, my man or woman to lead us? Those are different questions sure. from a political perspective. But from when you really boil it down, um, I really believe, genuinely believe, that Democrats are making big generational mistakes with some of these issues that they're doubling down on. Like, for example, opposing the ability for parents to seek the educational options that best fit their needs. Sure. School choice, sure. right? I think or attacking the Supreme Court on the affirmative action case. That, that, that is not where the majority of the American people are. And I think the abortion thing is, is running quickly out of steam for them, frankly. They keep making decisions that are out of the mainstream because it's for them, it's not about mainstream or not mainstream. For them, it's about making sure that their ideology replaces any other belief system that we have. Right. 
and there's enough people because this is the United States of America and this is the land that we love. And as much as we may disagree with certain candidates and elected officials, that's the difference. You and I have a respect and uh, an allegiance, which is why we pledge allegiance to the United States of America and what its values means that we're going to stand up for it. But they are trying to tear those things down because they know the only way for them to be successful is for them to replace what that means with what they want. Right. Right. That's the battle that we're fighting, which is why each election is consequential. I'm not going to say, oh, my God, this is the election to make all elections. All of them are consequential. But we're now getting to the point where we are so in disagreement that every election kind of the stakes get a little bit bigger. Yeah, or a each lot one bigger. more so. Each one consequential and each because 30 years ago, one, we right. were not this right. in disagreement That's about right. what America means. That's right. That's right. Think about how divided we are used to be the natural answer is well we've been more divided and then you kind of these days have to rethink that answer even in the civil war i mean that was about one big thing but the divisions we have now the things we disagree about now it's everything and at least in our modern in our modern history Mm -hmm. i don't believe we've been as divided polling shows that since gallup and others have started polling in the last number of decades And to your point, it's on everything. It's, it's not everything. just not about immigration or it's it's across it's about the board. what math textbook, you know? I mean it, it, it really goes down that far. And by the way, the parental rights issue, you you mentioned it. I think that's another big one here that the independents hurt. I, I think that's another another big issue. And maybe we'll save it for the next time just because we're run we've run out of time. This is time. But I'd like to ask you, we sh- we probably should have given a little more time. We'll do it next time we visit if Robert Kennedy has hit his ceiling and what his constituency looks like. We'll give him his due next time you're here with us, George. George Kaloff from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Thanks for being with us. Welcome back and good to see you again. Always good to be on, Seth. Thank Thank you. you. I'm Seth and I'll be back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Uh, my producer, young David, apologized for cutting me off a little at the end there. I just simply said to him, if I sounded like that, I'd have cut me off too. I don't know what happened to my brain. It just happened to him. Maybe, maybe it was heat frustration. I had a really good run this morning, so maybe that was it. I did want to mention the economy and uh, the indicators on it. Another thing that uh, you just don't see uh, a very good idea in the Bidenomics uh, the notion of running on Bidenomics when you think about all the indices of inflation and the talk of recession and the bank failures and the stock market volatility, which is why why refi is such a great option if you are looking to invest in a portfolio that's not correlated to any of that, the stock market nor the Fed. Portfolio, where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they are headquartered here locally. They and I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there. Tell you, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, though, you will see why I trust and like them so much, and you will too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a ten point two five percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y then R E F Y dot com, or give them a call at eight 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 Y Refi thirty four eight 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 Y Refi thirty four. My fault. We didn't spend enough time or any really talking about the Kennedy campaign, uh, the Robert Kennedy campaign. It's it's an interestingly run campaign, I have to say. We'll, we'll, we'll visit on it more or as much as you all want to. 
it's an interesting run campaign because you look at the media he's doing. It's the first campaign I can think of that for the most part, I mean, and by most part, I mean like 90% plus, is doing its media on podcasts and social media and not networking cable. Now, interestingly, part of it, it, and it's a little bit symbiotic in the refusal to do networking cable. Uh, the one interview he did do on a major network put a, put, a, put a political warning on it because they disagreed so strenuously with his views on vaccines, which was a first I've never seen that either. But I think it probably gave him uh, the, the, and, and the rest of the networks both pause to ever do that again. Now, he will, and he will have to, probably. But it's interesting. It'll, it'll be the first campaign, probably, to test the strength of podcast interviewing and podcast audience and whether the podcast audience and podcast interviewing is, though the number's large, the kinds of numbers you need, the who, when you're running for president, when you're running for any office, local or national. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.